All right, everybody, welcome, welcome, yeah. Come on, come on. How many of you guys at all of our campuses, I want to hear you make some noise. If you love Jesus this morning, let me hear you make some noise. Come on. Yeah. Hey, look, I'm saying a big hello to everybody worshiping with us in Ogallala right now and online. Our North Platte campus has Pastor Dave preaching at it locally. And then he has the privilege of being able to go on a 30-day sabbatical. We're sending him away. Um, and just to bless him and uh, bless his life and bless his ministry. We're, we're sending him on a 30-day sabbatical so that, you know, God can keep doing amazing ministry through him. And you might ask, like, man, I wish I was, like, I wish I worked at a place that, you know, I could get a sabbatical for 30 days and be able to go away and do that. And I would say, well, you can. All you have to do is just pick up your family, relocate them to a whole other town you've never lived in, start a church from the scratch, don't, don't have anybody around you and just start doing all the jobs that a multi-staff church does. Work seven days a week and be at our beck and call constantly. And if you do that, then after seven years, we'll send you on sabbatical. It's that easy. So, uh, so that we're sending him away. We're sending him away because we want to bless him and we want him to be the best for our church in the future. Amen. All right, come on, guys. Hey, look, uh, today in the Bible doesn't say that. I want to talk about, it, does God's word talk about or say that God, God just wants to make us happy? That's what I want to talk about today. Does God, is, is God's agenda just to make you happy? Um, because happiness is a huge part of our culture. It's a massive part of our culture. We like to say to people that we love the most, I just want you to be happy I just want you to be happy husbands you've said that to, to your wives wives you're saying that to your husband today kids are saying that to fathers on father's day today I just want you to be happy when we were kids we grew up and all kids that grew up in America wanted one meal I guarantee you every kid in America wanted this one meal and you go to McDonald's and every kid wanted a man you guys are good it's almost like a game show it feels feels very interesting to me. And when we were kids, right, we, we grew up watching a Disney program that had uh, all these seven dwarves. And one of the seven dwarves' name was? Grumpy. <laughs> Somebody said grumpy. And I know it is Father's <laughs> I know it is Father's Day, okay? But we don't have to go there, all right? It was happy. It was happy. Okay, remember, the topic is talking about happy. Okay, all right. We even have old wise tales, right? Finish the statement. Happy wife. Happy wife. Woo, man. You guys, you guys are with me. Even the Declaration of Independence that was written on January 4th, 1776, says these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life liberty, and the what? The pursuit of happiness. That might be the American dream, but is it God's dream for your life? Right? Does God's word actually say that he's trying to make you happy? Right? Um, is that what God's up to? Does God's word say that we are to seek happiness? What does the Bible actually say about this topic that seems so important to us. 35 years ago, um, 
or excuse me, when I was 35, which is almost 35 years ago. Um, <laughs> that would be ironic. Um, but when I was about 35, okay, you have to give me a little grace on this one. Because um, this is something that I felt like the Holy Spirit just reminded me as I was putting this message together. I couldn't really pin it down. So when I was around 35 years old, I, I had an epiphany um, about my life. I started to recognize that there was this destructive cycle that was at work within me. Uh, I would get bored with what I was doing, right? It would be like I, I, I conquered that mountain, and now I needed another mountain to conquer, right? I, I accomplished this task. This is easy now. Now what's more? I got, let's, let's get to the next thing, right? And I would, I would easily get distracted with what I was doing, wanting something else, looking for the next thing that's going to be exhilarating, looking for the next thing that's going to be new. And some of you might say, well, Jeff, that's just the, that's just the man in you. That's just the way that you're created. And I agree. I understand that. But there was something much deeper at work within me that I was noticing when I would get to this bored state and in need of a fresh exhilaration or something new in my life, then maybe I would go out and I would purchase a new car, right? Or I would be looking to move my house from one place to another. And, many, and sometimes we did that and we would actually just, we moved. I was looking for a new adventure to go on and I've been on a lot of adventures. And one thing I started to do as well, and my wife can attest to it, and she's had a lot of grace for me, is that I would start dreaming a dream of something that I wanted to do that was completely unrealistic and beyond who we really were. Like in Alaska, there was two different times that I had this happen to me. One of them, I was talking to my wife about what it would look like way before it was popular, right? What it would look like to live off the grid. And I'm searching, you know, I'm searching this really basic raw internet tool that we all have in our hands at this time looking for property that's out in the middle of Alaska that requires a, a plane to get there, a boat to get there, and then maybe a snow machine to get there. And I'm talking about how, you know, I'll hunt moose and caribou, and that's how we'll live, and it will be awesome, right? And my wife the whole time is just, you know, quietly going, sure, honey, sure, honey, waiting for that moment for that to pass because she had been a part of this cycle Another time, I started dreaming the dream that here's what we're going to do. We're going to buy, we lived in Valdez, right next to the ocean, right? Beautiful port. And uh, we're going to buy a big sailboat. That's what we're going to do. We're going to learn how to sail, and we're going to sail around the world. And we're going to stop at these ports, and it's just going to be amazing. Not thinking about, like, where, where, who's going to pay when you get to the port, right? <laughs> where are you going to get the money to keep feeding your family? And then I got a chance to go out on a fishing vessel of a guy that was in our church, and I went out there, and I threw up for a constant two days. <laughs> and that's when I realized I should probably let that one go and just move on, right, to something else. But every time I followed one of these paths, I would end up spending either A, a lot of money, or B, I would spend a lot of time. I'd be satisfied for just a short period of time, right, until that cycle really all started over again. What I realized about myself is that inside of me was this, this destructive cycle of me trying to purchase my own happiness. And I came to the conclusion I couldn't do it. I was wasting my time and I was taking my family on a roller coaster ride of emotion and uncertainty. 
So I began to break the cycle with one common thread. I had to rediscover, you know, what happiness really is. If I didn't rediscover what happiness really is, the pursuit of happiness was going to be my demise. I had to rediscover what happiness really is. And today's message is really going to be a message from my discovery, if you're okay with that. Yeah, it's going to be anchored in God's word, and that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to come away with. You're going to walk away with God's word more than, more than you're going to walk away with my story. But I thought today the best way I could approach something that's so sensitive and so close to all of us is for me just to pull back the veil and kind of take you on the journey and all these little parts of it that God helped me to redefine what happiness really is. So if you're willing and uh, you want to, let's go on this journey together and let's see what is it that God showed me that I think God really wants to show you today about happiness. The first thing that I discovered was that happiness is only found in one thing, a relationship with Jesus. And you might go, well, that's simple, Jeff. It's simple to say. It's a whole nother thing to live, though. Like, there's one thing, a relationship with Jesus. All those years that I was searching for happiness, I believed in Jesus, just like you do. In fact, I was serving on a ministry team in full-time pastoral ministry, but I allowed my theology of God to get warped. My theology of God was this during those, during those years of my life. Hey, if God is good, then everything in my life should be good, and it should make me happy. Have you ever thought that before? Has those, those kind of ideas ever coursed through your mind, or were they only in my mind? Because when you're living with that mentality, then you're forced into this corner where now you have to start making happiness your idol that you worship. And now happiness had become my new bullseye. I felt like a man, when I came out of this, I felt like when I looked back, I said, look, there was a moment in my life where it was like a blindfold got put on me. Someone spun me around in circles in a room that had multiple dartboards, right? And then they took the blindfold off and they said, now throw the dart, hit the bullseye. One of the dartboards represented my relationship with God. But another dartboard represented my, my, my seeking after human happiness, earthly happiness. And in that moment of chaos, and in that moment where you know, you're discombobulated in life, I threw the dart one day, and I hit the bullseye of human happiness. And I was hooked. It's a quick drug. It gets you fast. You get addicted to it really, really quick. And I kept wanting to throw that dart and hit that bullseye over and over and over again. It is a massive trap. During that time, I also found that scripture starts to get twisted in your life. And I started wrapping myself around certain passages of scripture that would justify my pursuit of happiness. Now look, I, I get it. Like if this is too open and honest for you, that, that's okay. All right, maybe like... Maybe you just kind of want to slip out and maybe you want to watch it online where you can palette it better because I, I got it. None of you do what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I started to take a scripture that is a common life verse for many of you actually and I started manipulating it for my own good and many of you are doing the very same thing. Jeremiah 29:11 is a popular life verse for people. It says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster. 
to give you a future and to give you a hope. Now look, now while this sounds good, and while it is actually overall true, guess what this guy did while he was on staff and as a pastor? Never took time to look at that verse in its context, which probably many of you have never done as well. Because it's very easy to grab a hold of certain scriptures that make us happy. It makes us feel good about where we are and about what we're doing and about our ideas and about our theology of God. But when you pull back the veil on this passage, you realize that God is speaking to a very rebellious group of people, a group of people that have abandoned him. God had brought them out of Egypt and he had brought them into their promised land. And after obeying God for a while, they started drifting from it and they started now obeying and following and worshiping these pagan gods. And one of the big reasons for that is because Joshua never finished his job. He never finished driving out all of the enemy from the land. And they started adopting now the worship of these pagans. And they started worshiping the pagans. They started sacrificing their children to these pagan gods. And God speaks to the people through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says to them, hey, I just want to let you know, you don't get to keep living like this. I'm going to be sending you away to captivity and slavery in Babylon. So if you put the passage into its context, you back up to verse 10, right? You need to go farther than that. But let me, for, today, for today's sake, let me go to verse 10. It says this, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and I will do for you all the good things that I promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Their plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days, you will pray and I will listen. The days in captivity, right? If you look for me, if you look for me, that's, a, that's an interesting part. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you. And then I will bring you home again to your own land. The Israelites were getting ready to go into exile for 70 years. That's a long time to be grounded, by the way. After 70 years, then God was going to fulfill his good plans. We like to quote this kind of verse about God as if God is going to do this in the next seven minutes or next seven days of our life. But the passage was about 70 years from now. You're going to have to go into slavery because you've been abandoning God. Then my plans will be fulfilled in you. We like to use these things like it's a key, like it's manipulating, like it's rubbing the genie bottle of God. And in the next seven minutes, God, may your good plans be fulfilled in me. Make me happy again. In the next seven days, may your good plans and purpose for my future be fulfilled again and make me happy again. But God sent his people into slavery so that his people would learn how to pray and learn how to seek him first. See, that's what God wants from our life. God wanted for his people to find their happiness in a relationship with him alone. Not in their freedom that they had before captivity. He didn't want them to find their happiness in the freedom. He didn't want them to find their happiness in the fortunes that they had. Because God said, when I bring you back out of captivity, I will restore your fortunes. He doesn't want us to find our happiness in these earthly 
temporal type of things. God wants us to find our happiness in a relationship with him alone. And once God got them back in alignment with him, then God could fulfill his good plans. So the truth behind all of this is that is here is to find God's happiness doesn't require a life like a monk. It doesn't require a life where you give up everything. It just requires you to make a relationship with God the primary source of your happiness. And if anything else is your primary source of happiness other than God, I'm going to tell you right now, you're walking down a trail that ends in destruction and disaster. You're walking down a trail that you cannot satisfy. You will never satisfy yourself with just earthly things to make you happy. The only thing that's truly going to make you happy is the relationship with God. The second thing that I learned, right, in rediscovering what real happiness is, is that joy is different than happiness. Earthly happiness is a feeling. It's a feeling that's produced by man. And that means that it can come and it can go. But joy is a state of mind produced by the Holy Spirit in the believer, which is greater than the emotions. And that's why a very powerful but short scripture is ultimately true about our lives. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this. Read it with me. It's very long. Always be What? You can't always be happy. But God's word says, always be joyful. It's impossible to be joyful all the time without surrendering to the Holy Spirit in your life. Because when you surrender to the Holy Spirit in your life, so watch this. It's one thing to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord and leader of my life. It's another thing now to surrender to the lordship of the Holy Spirit in your life, to lead and direct you. And here's the reason why. Because in Galatians chapter 5, we're instructed that the Holy Spirit will do something in you and through you. He will produce incredible fruit in you and through you. And if you remember the list, it starts with love, joy, peace, and so on and so forth. He produces joy in us. You try to produce happiness in you. He produces something that is a, it's a deeper state of mind. This joy gets produced in you. And I discovered that it's possible to have the Holy Spirit living in you while you're still in control, by the way. And that's a scary thought. It's a scary thought to know that you know what's right in your mind, but then to live by a different set of values. And to chase a different dream than what the Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart constantly, trying to get you back into alignment with God. I discovered that the greatest battle within the believer is allowing the soul to be ruled, is trying to allow the soul to be ruled by the Holy Spirit. That's our greatest battle. Our greatest battle is to align ourselves so that the soul can be ruled by the Holy Spirit. That's your greatest battle. And when your soul gets out of alignment with God's Spirit, then you are capable of doing all kinds of destructive things. But when my soul, my mind, will, and emotions is in alignment with God's Spirit, then it's God's Spirit that starts producing something greater than happiness in me. He starts producing joy. Now look, I have conquered this. I'm not standing before you telling you that I've conquered this, but I'm going to tell you this, that my understanding and my obedience to the Holy Spirit's leadership in my life has radically increased because there's intentionality. 
there's a purposeful focus. I can better face the difficulties of this life and not lose my joy in the Lord. I might not be happy, like with a big smile on my face all the time. But I'll tell you this, I'm I'm facing some challenges that are more difficult in my life today than I ever have. And it's not zapping the joy of the Lord. In fact, it's causing me to lean in to and seek the presence of the Lord more. Right? So here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to strive to understand the joy that James, the brother of Jesus, talks about. In James chapter 1 verse 2 where he says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wouldn't you love just to sit down with this guy and go, tell me what that means. Help me wrap my head around that. But church, that's the journey I'm on, and I want you to go on that journey with me. What does it look like to have that kind of joy that when we face troubles of different, different, difficult times, we, when we face persecution or we face the challenges that this world brings on, consider it an opportunity to increase in great joy. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. This is my takeaway so far from that passage, right? Is that joy is directly connected to trusting in the faithfulness of God. That the more that I trust in the faithfulness of God, the more joy gets to increase in my life. But the more that I drift from faithfulness in God and the more that I go, I've got this, I'm going to conquer this, then my joy decreases as if someone popped the balloon. I've also learned from this passage, because I believe that this is what James is trying to drive home, is that joy is the expression of hope that a believer has that's beyond this life. That's why he can say that with great confidence. Why can you consider it great joy when you walk through trouble? Because this is not my home. And the quicker you come to that reality, the faster the joy the joy gets to increase within you. I also think that, that James, as at least I've discovered from this passage, is talking about that joy is a constant manifestation that's not affected by your circumstances. What would it be like for you to walk through the next difficult challenge and maintain a constant joy in the Lord? What would that look like for you? That would be a huge victory. That's what it would be. And that's the joy he's talking about. It's not affected by what's going on around you. It's just a constant manifestation because my my dependency isn't upon what I can do. My dependency is upon what he is doing in me. And then lastly, that the joy of the Lord is the fuel for continued spiritual growth. What's going to cause you to keep wanting to know more about Christ? What's going to cause you to keep leaning into the Lord? Joy becomes that fuel. That's why he said in verse 3, for for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And and a true believer finds great joy in their faith growing, in the relationship with God growing. So to summarize the whole thing, I think that joy isn't a smile, right, or laughter when you're walking through difficult moments. That's weird. That's sadistic. Like, if you're walking through a very painful moment, you don't have to feel like you got to put on a fake smile. You don't have to feel like you got to put on a fake laugh. Or you might smile and laugh out of, like, uncomfortableness because you're in a very difficult situation and you don't know what else to do. But just know this, that joy doesn't mean that you're going to smile at everything. 
What joy means is that it's a deeper state of spiritual stability that the Holy Spirit's providing in your life when you're walking through the difficult moments. You're not losing the joy that you have in a relationship with the Lord. You're not turning your back on him. You're not stabbing him in the back. You're staying faithful and hanging on to what God can do and only what God can do in your life. The third thing, though, that I learned, because eventually we got to land this sermon, like land in a good plane, right? And most good sermons have three points. I don't know why. But really, in all sincerity, the third thing that really kind of stands out to me that I felt like I wanted to share with you that has been a huge blessing to me in redefining what happiness is, is that God's agenda is to make you holy, not happy. Sheesh. Holy, to be set apart by God to fulfill his purpose. God's part in that, grace at work in your life. Your part, repentance. Repentance. And then learning God's word so that we can live our life according to it. This is what Peter said about the issue in, in, first, in first Peter 1 Peter 1.14. He says, so you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Watch verse 15. But now you must be what? Holy, right? And everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. So in my journey, my journey I discovered that Christianity is way more than just believing in Jesus. It's about becoming like Jesus. Huge, huge transformation for many of you. It's not just that I believe in him. It's, is my life looking more like him? Is my, is my love looking more like him? Is my character looking more like him? Is my integrity looking more like him? Am I handling my finances in a way that looks more like him? Is my marriage looking like him? In my relationship, you see what I'm saying? Like everywhere you look, the, the pursuit of the believer is, is the, the outcome of the pursuit of the believer, the evidence is this, that our life is looking more and more and more like Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit is focused on producing in you. He's focused on producing the qualities of Jesus within you. He's more focused on doing that than he is focused on making you happy. How do I know this? Well, there's a lot of scripture that deals with this, but I thought the most gruesome and the most vivid came out of Matthew 18. Because I, I feel like this kind of scripture leaves that kind of print on you that you just can't get away from easily. This is how I know the Holy Spirit's more focused on making you more like Jesus than he is making you happy. Jesus said these words one day. Look, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into the internal flame, fire with both your hands and your feet. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Think about it right now. How much fun, how happy would you be if you gouged out one of your eyes right now? I mean, wouldn't that just be one big party? Wouldn't we just be laughing and joyful and everyone, just think about, what if we just like, you had to cut off one of your hands, one of your feet because it was causing you to sin? I mean, aren't you just going to be really happy about that? You're not going to be happy about that at all, right? 
But I'm telling you this, you will be joyful knowing that your destiny now is eternity with Christ forever. That's why the Holy Spirit's job, he's more trying to make you holy than he is trying to make you happy. And this teaching, it really taught me that, that the Holy Spirit, um, you know, is really leading me towards the center of God's will for my life than he is leading me to the center of man's happiness. So look, this life here, it's way less about, you know, what I have on this earth, and it's way more about the person that God's making you and me into. And I want you to consider this with me today, that my pursuit, right, of personal happiness could be the very thing that's keeping me from the holiness that God's trying to produce in me. And the same thing could be happening for you. Your pursuit of this earthly happiness could be the greatest roadblock that's keeping you from experiencing the greatest holiness that God's wanting to produce inside of you. So when we get our eyes off of happy and on the holy, everything can start to change in our life. Why don't you stand with me? And when you stand, would you just do this with me? Would you just stand and just close your eyes and just kind of go into this moment of worship, Ogallala and online with me as well? Because look, church, I've got really three statements that I want to throw your way and that require a response from you, right? If you want holiness more than happiness, this is my encouragement to you. Raise your hands to God and just simply begin to tell him. God, I, I want... I want holiness more than I want happiness on this earth. And that God, would you remove this thirst, this earthly thirst for my own happiness, and would you instill within me through the power of your Holy Spirit a hunger for holiness more than happiness. Church, if you want joy more than you want earthly happiness, raise your hands to God and start to tell him, Lord, my happiness is, is fleeting. It comes and it goes. It's something I can never, I can never like quench the thirst of it completely. But joy is something sustained by your spirit. So Lord, I open up my heart and I align myself with you, God. Forgive me for my pursuit of earthly happiness. And I open up my heart to you right now and I ask you, Holy Spirit, produce joy within me. The joy of the Lord that helps me to sustain through the difficult challenges of this life. Church, if you want a real relationship with Jesus, then raise your hands to him right now and begin to tell him. Lord, more than anything else, the one thing I want more than anything else is the relationship with you, Jesus. Lord, forgive me for pursuing all these other things. And may my heart come back to my first love, you. I may have drifted, but I'm coming back. I may have forgot, but I'm coming back. God, I may have fallen into sin, but I'm coming back. Forgive us, God. And may the relationship we have with you be the ultimate source of happiness on this earth. So with our hands raised, our shoulders burning right now, with our hands raised, God, we say this to you. We surrender to you, Jesus. We surrender to you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in us and have your way through us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.